Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Two items before we take a look at the Word of God before us this morning. Over these past days, some powerful accounts have been coming out of the conflict in Ukraine. Perhaps one of the most compelling accounts includes accounts of, of husbands and fathers bringing their families safely from Ukraine across the border with Poland into the safety of Poland. And then those same husbands and fathers turning around to go back into Ukraine. For those husbands and fathers going back into Ukraine, the fight is not some theory. The fight is not some abstraction. The fight is not some remote possibility. The fight is real. And they know it. So also, when you and I identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, when we look to him as our Savior from sin, you and I automatically become targets. Targets of the devil and his demons. And the devil is bound and determined to marshal all of his deceit and all of his techniques and all of his temptations to focus on each and every one of us in this room and everyone via live stream with one purpose in one way or another to separate you and me from the only Savior you and I are ever going to have. And that fight is not theoretical. That fight is not abstract. That fight is not some remote possibility. The fight is real. And the fight is every day. With, those reali with that reality in mind, that brings us to item number two. It is a quote from an American writer in the 20th century. His name is Robert Orban. And he, Robert Orban had a way of, of taking great truths and reducing them just to a couple of lines. Robert Orban once said this about temptations. Most people would like to be delivered from temptation, but then they would like it to keep in touch. Most people would like to be delivered from temptation, but then they would like temptation to keep in touch. Such is the compelling power of a temptation from the devil. With that in mind, let's take a look at the Word of God before us in Luke chapter 4. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just been baptized by the the, by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Luke records, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, Jordan River, where he'd just been baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. 
Tradition has it that the, the wilderness area where Jesus was, was tempted was in the area of Jericho. And if it, that was that area, that area is very stark and it's very dry and it's very brutal, very rugged. He was there for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. In fact, in the Greek that Luke writes down, Luke emphasizes that he ate absolutely nothing during all that time. And when they were ended, Jesus was hungry. Those who have observed what happens to people when, when, they, when they do not eat for an extended period of time over a course of several weeks, they have observed that sometimes what happens is that for a while your, your hunger pangs will subside for a while, but then you start getting to week five or week six, and all of a sudden that sense of hunger just comes roaring back, and it can begin to, to dominate your every thought. Well, it was during that window of time, if that's the case, it was during that window of time that Satan chose to approach Jesus about the subject of food. And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And so the devil approached Jesus in his weakened condition where he was very likely thinking about food a whole lot of the time. And in the devil's mind, he set up something of a trap for Jesus because if he did not turn the stone into bread, well then that suggested that Jesus doubted if he really was the Son of God. But if he did turn the stone into bread, well then he would be going against the will of his heavenly Father. But Jesus, even in his weakened physical condition, fought back, and what he used was the same weapon that you and I have at our disposal. He used memory work. Having committed large portions of the Bible to memory, and he answered the devil by saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. That's a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And with that quote, he was proclaiming he was going to trust his heavenly Father's will. Next, Luke records that the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Think about that. In just one moment of time, the devil somehow showed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Some of the kingdoms that existed in the first century at that time of course, the Roman Empire, but there's the Parthian Empire, there's the Sabaean Empire, there's the Arabian Empire, there's the Kushan Empire, there are the Dravidian Kingdom, and the Indo-Parthian Kingdom, and many, many more, all in a moment of time. And after he did that, Luke records that he said, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And so the devil tried to come off acting as if he actually had the authority to give, give the glory of all those kingdoms to somebody else. But the greater temptation was that he was offering to Jesus in his weakened state the opportunity to have all that glory and authority without going to the cross. 
Jesus, you can have all of this without all of the suffering and all of the horror and all of the pain and all of the scourging and all of the humiliation and all of the, all of the nightmares that you will experience when you hang upon the cross. But once again, Jesus quoted Scripture. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again from the book of Deuteronomy. And the devil took him to Jerusalem next, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And now the devil tries a little bit different tack. He quotes scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. One of the devil's favorite tactics is to pull verses of scripture out of context, twist them so that they say something else. He's trying to convince Jesus that, Jesus, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, and you can simply demand that the Lord will, will protect you and keep you from any harm whatsoever. But once again, Jesus turns to Scripture. He says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And with that, when the devil had ended every temptation, when he had when he had tried every conceivable attack point that he could find. Luke records that he departed from Jesus, but not forever. He departed from Jesus until an opportune time. See, this battle was not over. He was going to back off, but if he saw an opportunity, he was going to be right back at it. Brothers and sisters, in this account of Satan attempting to tempt Jesus and Jesus batting him down every time with the word of God, there's a lot of moving parts and Satan is trying to do many things. Let's concentrate on two basic temptations that Satan is after here. Temptation number one, he's trying to get Jesus to avoid God's will for his life. If that will for Jesus' life included difficulty and suffering and grief and torture and pain and death, Satan was trying to get Jesus to avoid his heavenly Father's will for his life. And temptation number two, in some way the devil was trying to create at least some little fissures, some little hairline cracks within the bond of trust that existed between Jesus and his heavenly Father. The same thing he pulled, by the way, way back in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and the Lord, and there it worked. All of which brings us to you and me. Someone once rightfully pointed out that on the basis of Scripture, sin, the definition of sin, 
is not simply desiring a bad thing. Sometimes we think in, uh, about sin in those terms. Well, that's when we desire a bad thing. But actually, the definition for sin is far broader than that. That sin also includes desiring something too badly. It's not necessarily just desiring a bad thing. It's desiring something too badly. If there is something in my life that, that, that on the surface is a perfectly good gift from God, whether it's money or nice things or a nice lifestyle or relationships or status or popularity, good health, whatever it happens to be, if I de begin desiring one of those things so much that that thing begins to step between me and my relationship with my Savior, then you and I have fallen into the devil's temptation. And with that definition of sin in mind, and knowing how the devil works in his temptations, you and I must confess that there have been all kinds of times that you and I have stumbled and fallen all kinds of times when we have allowed other things to come between me and my Savior. And for that reason, you and I deserve, we deserve to see God turn his back on us, to walk away and never come back. But that reminds us of the whole reason why Jesus came. Very often we think of what did Jesus do for us? And rightfully we say, well, he died on the cross to take our sins away. And that is absolutely true. But that's only part of it. In theology that is often called Jesus' passive obedience. His passive obedience. When he allowed things to happen to him to wash our sins away. But there is also the other half. Jesus, it's called Jesus' active obedience. That Jesus actively lived a holy life in our place, the life that you and I should have lived but have failed to live because of our sin. This account of Jesus going head to head with the prince of darkness is a perfect example of Jesus' active obedience, wielding the word of God to fight off the devil's temptations, and he was doing that in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute, so that now you and I, through faith in him, when we come to him with repentant hearts, we know that his blood has washed us clean, and we know that the, the robe of righteousness of his active holy life blankets us in the eyes of God. And so how do you and I respond to what Jesus Christ has done for you and me? Well, here's one way. Remember how he fought the devil? He didn't use his almighty power to zap him off the, the surface of the planet. He used the same weapon that's, that's available to you and me. He used the living and enduring word of God. And when it comes to our fight against the devil... 
That's how we can respond, to thank our Savior. We can be filled with the Word of God. We can be filled with His Gospel. And as we are, as we are filled with the good news of Jesus Christ, continually and, and, and meditating on it day and night, we are refreshed and we are renewed and we are re-equipped for the fight. Frederick William Faber, Frederick William Faber, gifted hymn writer in the 1800s, and gifted hymn writers have a wonderful way of saying a truth in a short and sweet way. Frederick William Faber once wrote this, Every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory. Every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory. Will you and I stumble and fall from time to time in our, in our hand-to-hand battle with the devil? Yes, because you and I are still battling our old sinful natures. But the beauty is that when we stumble and fall, Jesus is there. And when we turn to him in repentance, he is there to wash us clean of his blood, in his blood. He is there to blanket us all over again with the holiness of his holy life. And we are his forgiven child. And that very forgiveness renews us to pick up the fight again. And so, brothers and sisters, as we remember that the fight is real and the fight is every day, as you and I fight the temptations that the devil tries to lay in front of us, to the glory of God and in thankfulness to our Savior, resist the devil. Resist the devil in the line of battle where he is tempting you. Because every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please stand.